More details are emerging in the case against Tyler Chi, the UNC grad student charged with fatally shooting his faculty advisor on campus five months ago. Newly released federal search warrants reveal that Chi had purchased a 9mm pistol a few days before the shooting and visited a firing range in Wake County the day before. That gun purchase was illegal. Chi's student visa prevented him from legally possessing a firearm. Chi is accused of killing UNC professor Zijian on August 28th, though he's been declared mentally unfit to stand trial, and he's currently being treated at a state mental hospital. Chi reportedly listed Yan as his emergency contact when he visited the firing range the day before the shooting. More details also on the fatal one-car crash in Chapel Hill over the weekend. Authorities say the three passengers in the vehicle were all from Greensboro, but two were UNC students, including 20-year-old Mary Elizabeth Rotunda, who was killed when the vehicle lost control on Raleigh Road and crashed in a wooded area. The cause of that crash is still under investigation. Over now to Durham, where WRAL reports the county school board is apologizing for a mistake that triggered a massive staff walkout last week. Earlier this month, school officials discovered that many staffers had inadvertently been overpaid over the last few months, but their efforts to fix the mistake effectively showed up as a big pay cut. The school board says employees should be able to keep the money they were given, but staffers are also upset about another issue as well, a change in the salary schedule that's also leading to pay cuts for some district employees. Turning to Raleigh, a new development yesterday in the ongoing legal battle over new election laws. A federal judge has temporarily blocked a law tightening the rules for same-day registration during the early voting period. The law would nullify a person's ballot after one mailed notice to the stated address is returned as undeliverable. That's down from two in previous elections. District Judge Thomas Schroeder said that potentially violated voters' due process rights if they get disenfranchised due to a mailing error. Republican lawmakers say they'll work to tweak the law in an effort to make sure it still takes effect later this year. Back locally, the Carborough Town Council met last week to get recommendations from a task force on community safety that was formed in the wake of George Floyd's murder in 2020. The task force offered five recommendations, including improved data collection, policy reform in law enforcement, and shifting some crisis response calls away from police. Here's Mayor Barbara Fushi on the recommendations. They will stay recommendations until the council formally decides what direction they want to go in. I recommend that we implement all five in some form or another. Um, I'm also in favor of creating this Office of Community Safety where all of this work can be housed, but certainly there'll be, um, you know, more formal discussions. We also were had two of our council members that were absent. Um, and so, you know, we kind of got to discuss this again and, and allow them time to get up to speed um, from the work session we had on Tuesday night. That's Mayor Barbara Fushi there. The Carborough Town Council is gathering tonight along with Orange County Commissioners and the Chapel Hill and Hillsborough Town Boards, all four groups getting together in a meeting called the Assembly of Governments, 7 p.m. tonight in the Southern Human Services Center. Officials will get updates on the One Orange Racial Equity Plan and the Behavioral Health Diversion Facility. Get a link to the full agenda on our website, chapelboro.com. And visit Chapelboro for more local government news, including a recap of last week's Chapel Hill Town Council meeting, which included a discussion of plans to spend much of this year rewriting the town's land use management ordinance, or LUMO for short. 
Finally, we head to campus where Carolina Connection Sierra Pfeiffer recently took a deep dive into the world of contra dancing, a popular Appalachian folk dance dating back to the 1600s. It's a subculture that's steeped in tradition, but also adaptable to changing times as some dancers are abandoning the old boy-girl pairings and going gender neutral. Sierra filed this report. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Let's do this. Contra dancing has been part of America almost since the nation was founded. It's similar to square dancing, except the couples are arranged in long lines. More than 200 contra dance groups around the country twirl and do do to traditional and more modern music. The monthly dances at the Carborough Century Center not only feature 70s pop classics, but also another break with tradition. We have transitioned to gender-free calling at this particular dance, and so a couple is going to be made up of a lark and a raven. That's caller Emily Rush, and she's referring to couples as larks and ravens, rather than ladies and gents. Ravens, turn by the right, find your partner and swing. Gender neutrality is a trend as contra dancing has spread beyond its country roots to bigger cities, suburbs, and college towns like Carborough. One recent survey found more than 100 non-gender dance groups across the nation. Rita Bennett Chu is the president of the group that hosted the Carborough event. I really dig like callers being creative, callers being inclusive. And as an organizer, I think the number one thing that's important is to make everybody feel welcome. I probably won't come to a dance unless I know for sure that the caller is doing non-gendered calling. That's Beck Muffelman, who's non-binary. Not really wanting to be labeled um, either gent or lady. Hearing that repetition over was just kind of like nails on a chalkboard. But why larks and ravens? They're distinct enough to be understood over music, and they start with L and R to correspond to the partners on the left and the right. Some callers use robins instead because ravens are culturally significant to North American indigenous groups. Country dance historian David Millstone says these words have been a major transition away from contra dancing's original roots. Contra dancing historically stems from English country dance, which is a very gendered form of dance, um, typically men and women lining up as couples to dance in long lines. Millstone says a big reason people dance is to meet romantic partners. So it's not surprising gender roles have changed in contra dancing as they've changed in society. Still, he says it's not easy for everyone to accept. The argument that it's more inclusive doesn't ring completely true because it it does tend to exclude some older dancers, people who are accustomed to one role uh, and one set of terminology. With your neighbor, Back in Carborough, Mark Rosso has been contradancing for more than 20 years and says non-gender terms have pros and cons. I'm an experienced dancer and I sometimes have to pause like, am I a lark? Am I a raven? And it takes me a while even though I'm experienced. So <laughs> I enjoy it when I don't have to <laughs> make that extra effort. But I do appreciate um, a wider variety of people here. But as the music flared across the hardwood floor, Rosso and most of the other dancers were focused on trying to keep up with the caller and have a good time, not on what they and their partners were called. In Carborough, I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. Our Carolina Connection, a student-produced radio newscast from the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media that airs Saturday mornings at 8.30 on 97.9 The Hill. 
All right, time now for sports. Brought to you this hour by Coldwell Banker Howard Perry and Walston. The winning streak keeps going for Carolina men's basketball as the Tar Heels pulled away in the second half for an 85-64 win last night over Wake Forest. Wake actually led by one after a back-and-forth first half, but UNC blew it open with a 13-2 run midway through the second. R.J. Davis hit back-to-back threes early in the second half to give Carolina the lead for good. Jones Angel on the call. Game tied at 41. Ingram gets switched on to Miller. That's a size advantage for Ingram. Double team comes. Out to Cadeau. Extra pass. Ends up left corner to Davis. 4-3. First one of the night for the Heels. Here comes Carolina the other way with a three-point lead. Cadeau whips it to RJ. Transition. Triple. Count it, baby! Just part of a huge night for R.J. Davis, who erupted with a career-high 36 points, most in a game by a Tar Heel since Bryce Johnson in 2016, most in a home game by a Tar Heel since Tyler Hansborough back in 2008. Here's head coach Hubert Davis on R.J. You know, his just ability for a number of things, but specifically his scoring, you know, he can score with the ball in his hands, off the ball, his ability to be able to finish at the rim, um, the way that Wake was playing us defensively. Um, He was able to get to that mid-range, that floater. That's a shot that he's worked on a lot throughout his career. Feels really comfortable, and he was able to hit that. And then that set up, you know, his ability to be able to shoot the ball from three. And he was in a great rhythm tonight. He's been in a great rhythm all season. It was the first time as a player and as a coach that I can remember the Smith Center crowd chanting a player's name. And I'm just really proud of him. I, I think, you know, he's had a a terrific career, but I, I feel like this year he's finally getting noticed. And I'm just really happy for him. That's Hubert Davis there. Tar Heels up to number three in this week's AP rankings, by the way, thanks to a loss by Kansas last week. Only one other ACC team in the top 25. That'd be Duke. They're down five spots to number 12. On the women's side, UNC is up three spots to number 20 after moving into first place with a pair of wins. NC State, though, still the top-ranked ACC team at number seven.